Thank you, Carlos. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for um, a place to call home. Our hearts long for that. And I pray today, Father, that you would reveal to us the truth about who you are. Lord, we know even as we say that, that if we find out who you are, we're going to find out who we are as well. To see that you are holy, holy, holy will surely like Isaiah, make us fall before you in recognition of our unholiness. But Father, I thank you that you have an answer for our sin, that there is one who has died for us. And we pray in his name, the name of Jesus, the only name given among men whereby we must be saved. Amen. Friendship is a sheltering tree. Samuel Taylor Coleridge wrote those, year, those words years ago. Friendship has inspired so many poets, some good like Coleridge, some maybe not quite as good. So I Googled this week uh, the songs about friendship and I was intrigued and I wonder what you think would be the number one most popular song about Friendship. I asked my wife and she said, lean on me. And so I did. And she said, no, the song, lean on me. You know you are the wind beneath my wings. Uh, That's what friends are for, sang Dionne Warwick. I get by with a little help from my friends, sang the Beatles. Who can forget Aladdin? You ain't never had a friend like me or Toy Story You've got a friend in me. But number one on the list was you just call out my name. Come on now, um, James Taylor fans. You just call out my name and you know wherever I am, I'll come running to see you again. Winter, spring, summer or fall, all you have to do is call and I'll be there. Yes, I will. You've got a friend. Now, isn't it good to know, he said, that you've got a friend. People can be so cold. They'll hurt you and desert you. And they'll take your soul if you let them. Ah, but don't you let them. So I wonder, have you found a friend like that? Proverbs 18 verse 24 says, There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I'd like to introduce him to you today. Would you open your Bibles with me to John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17? And we find there Jesus speaking to his disciples. They've been together, we believe, for three years at this point. And this is really his last night with them before he is crucified. So time matters and words count. And Jesus says many things to them but none more significant than these words about friendship. Let's stand together as we read God's word. John chapter 15, verse nine, where we find Jesus saying, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. 
My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. Thank you, you may be seated. This evening, the evening in which we enter as we read this dialogue, this word from Jesus to his disciples, began with Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, sharing in a meal with them, and then recognizing their struggles as they went out. After they sang a hymn, they went out and they were headed toward the Mount of Olives. And maybe they walked by the temple as they went and saw emblazoned in gold across the top there a picture of a fruitful vine. And as they walked along, Jesus said to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. And along the way, perhaps seeing in their eyes their fear, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. Maybe your translation says, I will not leave you comfortless, but I will come to you. I must have been 12 or 13 years old when I discovered chapter 15 and read those words, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will. It will be done for you. I didn't understand all that meant when I was 12 or 13 years old. I don't understand all that means now that I'm 50 years old. But I remember thinking, I want that kind of relationship with him. And as Jesus walked along, he says to them, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. And this wasn't your idea. I chose you. I appointed you. He must have startled them with the statement, greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. And in that moment, he defined love once and for all. And within 24 hours, he would demonstrate love once and for all. And Jesus, who invited them to be his friends, says to them, I'm paying the price for our friendship. Now you receive the promise, the promise of joy and fruitfulness and access to the Father like you never imagined you could have before. And as I read these words this week, I thought, what is the greatest love story in history? And immediately our minds run to romantic stories. We think of Romeo and Juliet or O. Henry's story in The Gift of the Magi. What is the 
greatest love story in history. And when I read these words, I thought, the greatest love story in history could be our story. Our story with God, who loved us so much that he gave himself for us so that we could receive his love and enter into relationship with him. And I remember William Barclay wrote, God does not have favorites, but he does have intimates, those whom he brings into his counsel, those whom he chooses to love. And the story of the disciples is a story that has been told again and again over the last 2,000 years. And I wonder this morning, is it your story? Have you come to know the sheltering tree of friendship with God? In this story, we see a, an amazing love that Jesus has. And he shows us that we must remember that the price for our friendship with God has already been paid. I think that's what verse 13 is about. But as we sort of track it, Jesus says to them, if you want to know how much I love you, I love you like the Father has loved me, he says. And now I want you to stay in that love. Jesus says, just stay in love with me. And how do we stay in love with Jesus? How do we stay in love with anybody? Well, we keep covenant with them. So Jesus says, you would have to keep my commands the way I've kept my father's commands. And immediately we begin to think, oh, this is going to be a heavy burden. He's going to give me a long list of things I've got to do if I'm going to be his friend. But the list is pretty short, isn't it? Here's my command, he says. I want you to love one another. And immediately these disciples who've been arguing that very night about who is going to be the greatest among them, immediately they think, okay, this is hard. How will we love one another? And Jesus says, I'm, I'm telling you this not to empty your life of joy, but to fill your life so that it is full of joy. And the right way to love other people, he says, is by laying down your life for them. We look sometimes at the story of the cross and if we're not careful, we may read it to say, that's what hateful people do when they see love. So the story of the cross could be for us a story of hatred. That is, they hated Jesus and so they crucified him. But Jesus tells them even before it happens, when you're tempted to think that their crucifixion of me is a story of hatred, remember that it's really a story of love because hate pounded the nails into his hands. But love Receive those nails and transformed that hatred and, and said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. And the beauty of our love story with God, who is our friend, is that he knows us and he cares about us and he loves us enough to lay down his life for us. Think about your friends. I think about Frank Pollard's story of the man who was asked, do you know Harry? He said, do I know Harry? Harry and I have been knowing each other for 40 years. We were in the first grade together. There is absolutely nothing that I wouldn't do for Harry. There is absolutely nothing that Harry wouldn't do for me. He pondered for a moment and said, so for the last 40 years, Harry and I have been doing absolutely nothing for each other. <laughs> Maybe you have a friend like that. Somebody who calls you friend. Every time they need you, they call you Friend. Other than when they need you, you never hear from them. 
It reminds me of those two guys who were camping in the forest and they are awakened by the growl of a grizzly bear and one guy reaches over and starts putting on his tennis shoes and his friend looks over him and says, what are you doing? He said, I'm putting on my shoes. He said, are you crazy? You can't outrun that bear. He said, but I don't have to outrun that bear. All I have to do is outrun you. (laughs) Maybe you have friends like that who are willing to lay down your life for their sake. But that's not the kind of love that Jesus talks about. That kind of friend is a dime a dozen. But I remember some years ago, a friend of mine named Mike Coppage took me to his hunting lease in South Texas. And I was hunting deer and we set up my little Invisiblind. It's a little uh, camouflage tent about as wide uh, as a person. And I sat there and he said, now look, the deer are going to come in. I said, how do you know? He said, they always do. He said, when you see the one you want to shoot, shoot it. I had my bow and arrow with me. He said, do you have a gun? I said, I don't, I don't own a gun. He said, okay, well, um, then don't shoot at the javelina if they come in. You can shoot at a deer, but don't shoot at a javelina. I said, why not? He said, because they, they get offended if you hurt one of their friends. I said, okay. And uh, the thing about javelina, I learned that day. I learned a lot about javelina that day. Um, you smell them before you see them. They are odiferous. And so there's this sort of wave about five minutes before they get there. You can, maybe you have friends like that, but these javelina, they, they come in and you, and you, you smell them. And then, and then again, you hear them before you see them because they sort of gnash their teeth. It gives an image to that, that idea that Jesus spoke about hell, where there is weeping and, and gnashing of teeth because they have very sharp teeth and they sort of gnash them. I guess it's the way they communicate with each other. And so I, I smell them and then I hear them and then I see them. A whole herd of them sort of comes right in front of my Invisibline. Now, what I know is no deer, no self-respecting deer is going to come in while the javelina are there. So I want them to go away, but they don't go away. They decide to remain in my presence for a long time. And one of them is curious and he keeps coming closer and closer. And I'm remembering Mike's words, do not shoot one of the javelina. But there came a point when the javelina was about to join me in my little tent. What do you say to a javelina that's about to join you? Shoo, shoo. I mean, what, what do you, what do you say? And he's getting closer and I'm wondering what I'm going to do. And at one point I remember drawing my bow thinking if he gets any, any closer, because I knew if he got in the tent, it was going to be like that Jerry Clower story. One of us was going to need relief. And I thought it was going to be me. And wouldn't you know it, the curious javelina kept co- coming closer. And finally, I just, I released the arrow and the javelina squealed and he ran off. I don't know where he went to this day, but his friends were very angry. And they began to circle around my tent. And I realized I had no exit strategy from the tent. South Texas, there's no tree that's tall enough to climb. I'm just out there in the brush. And I'm thinking, what am I? This was a time to pray. This was a time to say, Lord, help. And about that that time, I heard this popping sound. And the javelina began to scurry away. The popping sound was the sound of Mike coming down the road, shooting at them with his pistol. He didn't kill them, but he was just trying to to get rid of them. I'll never forget as I looked out the side of my tent and saw him coming down the road, pushing his wheelchair as fast as he could, pistol in hand, shooting at the javelina in much worse danger than I. I could have eventually run Mike, who was injured in a motorcycle accident, had been in a wheelchair all of his adult life. And that day he came down the road to rescue me. 
Ever since that day, I have never looked at Mike and said, Mike, are you really my friend? Because I already know the answer to the question. And when we read verse 13, so do we. God, are you really my friend? And he stretches out his arms on a cross. What did C.S. Lewis say? The subject of God's love on the whole is a safer subject for us to address than our love for him. God's love for us is a more certain thing than our love for him. And Jesus says, look, I'm going to show you tomorrow how much I love you. Now I want you to stay in love with me. And the way you'll know that you stay in love with me, this is hard, he says, is if you really love one another. And it's one thing to love our friends in the, in the abstract, but to love them in the concrete is a, is a little bit more differ, difficult, isn't it? To love people that we actually know and have to be around. And so we see in this passage not only to remember the price for our friendship has been paid, but, but to receive the promise of that friendship, we have to believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm going to lay down my life for you. And then he says, you are my friends. And he says, I no longer call you servants. God says, I call you friends. And even as he says this, he begins to reveal his knowledge of them. And he says, you'll know you're my friends because I'm going to let you get to know me. And real friendship is about self-revelation. It's about having the freedom to say to another person what we really feel. It's not superficial. We've already seen it's, it's sacrificial. It's not about concealing, but about disclosing. Your real friends are the people that you're not afraid to tell exactly what you are thinking in an open, honest, equal relationship. You can tell them. And the truth is our friendship with Jesus makes all of our friendships better and different. So the way he disclosed the father to them is the way that we begin to disclose our lives to each other. John Ortberg tells about uh, his best friend, a mentor to him. I don't know who it was, but he says there came a day when he looked at his mentor and said, I am no longer going to keep any secrets from you. I'm going to tell you everything. He told him about his jealousy. He told him about his greed. He told him about how his anger sometimes hurt his wife. He told him about his deceit. He told him about the fears that kept him up late at night. And by the time he had confessed everything to his friend, he thought, my friend is going to walk out of this room. But his friend never, never averted his gaze, never stopped looking at him the whole time he was talking. And then his friend said to him, John, I have never loved you more than I love you right now. It's an unbelievable kind of love, isn't it? Where would a person learn to love like that? I think we know the God who knows us and loves us anyway is the same God who empowers us to know each other, to know each other well, to know the good, the bad, the best, the worst about each other and still say, I have never loved you more than I do right now. Imagine Peter and John coming to a place where they could care about each other in that way. Imagine you coming to care about another person in that way and another person caring about you in that way. No wonder Jesus says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. 
Because there is no greater joy than the relationship in which we can share our lives completely with each other without fear of being rejected, without fear that that person is going to go and tell everybody about us, but instead a person who will love us unconditionally and freely. And God enables that kind of friendship, a friendship that gives us joy, a friendship that bears fruit. He says, I want you to bear fruit. And this is what I see in those words that Jesus speaks. I think he's saying to us, friendship, real friendship brings out the very best in us. God's friendship with us makes us better than we could ever be on our own. And it makes us better friends than we could ever be. It's why Augustine, I think, said, we love our friends in God and we love God in our friends. We see God in them and we love that about them. And our real friends are the ones who call out the very best in us, the ones who encourage us to become more than we ever thought we could be, the ones who help us to do more and become more than we thought we could. This is what Jesus has done for us. This is what we do for each other. I read this week again Ellie Wiesel's story about um, his, um, his close friend, um, Francois. Francois was a, a Christian um, during World War II. He had been part of the French resistance movement. Meanwhile, um, Ellie Wiesel had been in one of the concentration camps. And he had lived there and endured great pain there and watched his father beaten to death there and lost his mother and his brother there. He had seen all of that. And when he emerged, he was scarred by that. He wanted to be a writer. And he went to his friend, Francois, who was an accomplished writer, thinking that Francois might give him an introduction, an entree into the business so that he might begin to fulfill his dream of being a writer. He said the problem with Francois was he was head over heels in love with Jesus. All he wanted to talk about was Jesus. Every, every question I asked, the answer was Jesus. He, he just gushed and gushed about Jesus. And, and he talked about how Jesus had suffered for us. And finally, he said, I closed my notebook. And I said, Francois, in the prison camp, I saw hundreds of Jewish children who suffered more than Jesus. And we don't talk about it. And he stood to walk away and get in the elevator and leave his dream of being a writer. But Francois called him back, chased him to the elevator, grabbed him by the arm, and they sat down in, chair, in chairs together. And for a season, he said, Francois just wept bitterly over the reality of those children who suffered in the prison camp. And then the next words he spoke that changed Ellie Wiesel's life were these words. Ellie, maybe you should speak about it. And this gave Wiesel the courage to write the novel Night, which tells the story in novel form about the, the horrible atrocities of the prison camps. And years later, Wiesel would reflect on his friend Francois's life and say, we were friends until the day he died. And he said, this man who loved Jesus so much was the one who helped me to become a writer. Well, that's a great gift, not only to Wiesel, but to the world, because that's an amazing book. If you've read it, it's an amazing book. But the truth is, Christian friendship, 
not only enables us to become successful as this world um, envisions success, Christian friendship enables us to bear fruit. And the fruit of a Christian is love and joy and peace. Jesus talks about that here. And Paul talks about it in his letter to the Galatians. But the fruit of a, of a Christian is another Christian. It's not just being a friend of God and being a friend to others. It's seeing those friends become friends of God. Like, like Abraham, who's called in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7, a friend of God. Like Moses, who in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11 says, is, is a one who talks with God face to face like one talks to a friend. It's Jesus saying, everything the Father has shown me, I have shown you because I call you friends. Myron Augsburger tells about going to speak at a conference and, and after he spoke, um, a young woman who was a professor in, a, in an Ivy League university came to him and said, do you remember years ago a young Mennonite girl coming to you after a conference with her atheist friend? Augsburger said, no, I, I, don't, I don't remember that. And she said, well, I remember that because that day um, you, you talked with that young girl for an hour about Jesus and about how Jesus was the one who could change her life. And you didn't push, but you just kept telling her the truth about Jesus. And then when you stood up to leave, you, you said to her, Marilyn, I feel sorry for you because without Jesus, you are going to miss out on all the enjoyable, great things that Jesus wants you to experience in this life. And she said, I am that girl, and I couldn't get that out of my mind. And I have become a follower of Christ. To know that Jesus is our friend is not just to realize that he paid the price for our friendship, but it is to receive the richness of the promise. The privilege of friendship with Jesus brings us joy. It, it bears fruit in our lives. It gives us access to God like we've never had before. And we want you to know that kind of friendship so that your favorite friendship song is not something you saw in a Disney movie or heard on a, on a James Taylor uh, CD. But maybe something like we've sung this morning, I've found a friend who is all to me. Or what a friend we have in Jesus. We do. Do you? Let's pray. God, thank you for the promise of friendship, for the high privilege of knowing Christ. And help us, I pray today, to receive friendship from you. Lord, we know we don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We don't merit it. But we are grateful for it. And Jesus, we do now receive you. And more than all in you we find. Help us, I pray, to trust you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.